0: Place. Oh, son of a bitch. I did it, but don't lie.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Turnbuckle Training, introducing first your longtime fan, short-time podcaster, and former fantasy wrestling hardcore champion. Peyton, Mrs. Green's baby boy, Green.
2: And his tag team partner making his debut in the wacky world of fighting fools, Zach, person type,
1: Barlow. Person type? Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, oh! I could have been old kind. Succulent Jim,
2: though. I should have been Succulent Jim. You're right.
1: Succulent Jim or would have man been good. <laughs> <Yeah>. Lady hate. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is a show for longtime wrestling fans and rookies alike. We're gonna take you through some of the biggest shows, matches, and rivalries in wrestling history. And we're just gonna keep talking about them till we get tired of it. And you know, if you're sitting there
2: and you're saying, "Oh, dang it," I clicked on this podcast and I don't know the first thing about wrestling. Hey, don't worry, you're in good company because as you will soon learn.
1: Ah, I don't either. So I do. I do have one question: Is wouldn't we eventually get to a point where you know everything about wrestling? I mean, if we do this podcast indefinitely. Hmm. Yeah. At some point, a, or we you not going to be able to say that anymore? That is true. You know what,
2: though? I'll just pretend. I'll just, when we get to that point, I'll just be like, Oh, oh. What's, a, what's a suplex?
1: Oh, I don't know. So it'll be, yeah, it'll be a lie. Okay, okay. So Peyton, to edit this out so people don't know. <laughs> so, Peyton, what are we going to be talking about today? We're going to be talking about um, the hardcore legend. The, uh... The uh, Mrs. Foley's baby boy, the the granddaddy of extreme. I don't think that's actually a name anyone's ever called him. I, but he I called think, him. It. You just called him it right now. I couldn't think of anything else. We're gonna be talking about Mr. Mick Foley. Um, this is part of our kind of our new, you know, way of doing things. We're gonna just kind of go through a little career retrospective. Not really focus so much on matches. Just some of the big moments. And Mick Foley's career, and Zach, I know you're excited about this because you love Mr. Mick Foley.
2: Mick Foley is my favorite wrestler of all time. Um, And And why is that? Because he is, you know, I've always, in in everything that I like, I think, I I sort of always go with the sort of alternative route, um, like with music or or television or, or whatever. I like someone that's doing something different and something that I think is uh, is uh worth doing, and I think that's what Mick Foley does here. He doesn't look like a traditional wrestler. He doesn't wrestle like a traditional wrestler, but he is out there doing crazy things for the fan spectacle, and he's super humble about it, and he's a super good dude, and... He's, he's, he's like the Rocky amazing.
1: Balboa of wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh... So we're just going to be going through some of his uh, his biggest moments. Um, let's go ahead and start from the beginning. Um, Mick Foley was born in. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to go that far to the beginning. Uh, Mick but, Foley uh,
2: wrestled his mother's uterus.
1: Okay. So, uh, so Mick Foley um, breaks into the to the wrestling business back in the 80s. Um uh 1983 is his, his professional debut. He works his way up the scene. Apparently, and this is a story that he tells a lot, is that he loved wrestling as a kid. Uh we'll see later him like dressing up and jumping off his own roof and stuff like that. And uh he even hitchhiked to a wrestling show at Madison Square Garden. Um, yeah, no. So
2: I think you just uh, you just did a little misspeak there. You said that in 1983 he made his professional debut, but I think that 1983 is when he hitchhiked to Madison Square Garden. Right? 1986 is when he actually debuts. Uh,
1: this first match is not necessarily. His, this is his debut on in on in WWE. Like, oh, so that th- same year that he hitchhiked to Madison Square Garden
2: is when he first. That's cool. That's interesting. Yeah,
1: I, I believe so. Like As far as training and working up the ranks, he starts that in 1983. Eventually, in 1986, he, uh, he, he starts doing some tryout matches for the WWF. Um, so he has a, a, a little one-off match here. On an episode of Superstars, uh, wrestling as Jack Foley, uh, and teaming up with a guy named Les Thornton, who I could not tell you one thing about.
2: Yeah, so um, when when he first started as Jack Foley, is that his actual name, or is that just what they gave him? Uh,
1: that's just what they gave him. His real name is is Michael Foley. So. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so, no, I uh, thought it
2: was interesting, because he was Jack Foley until, like, 96, um, from what I could tell from what we've watched here. So I thought that was sort of a
1: well no he he I don't think he was jack Foley for very well he was cactus Jack which right I guess but that then whenever they jack whenever they him.
2: refer to him by his name when he first uh when they're talking about cactus Jack they're like cactus Jack or Jack Foley, and I'm like, uh, oh okay. huh that's interesting
1: i guess i I guess so um but yeah, but he he uh he does some some tryout matches here he ends up wrestling the uh the British bulldogs. Uh, what'd you think of Mick Foley's, uh, first outing here? I mean, you know, it's, a um, it's
2: really, anyone's debut is not gonna be, like, they're not gonna come out swinging, and it's not gonna be the best match they've ever done. But, uh, I thought it was a fun little match, really short, but, um, you know, it's, introduces us to the guy. I think it's crazy to see Mick Foley looking this young. Um, yeah,
1: he looks very different, very skinny.
2: Yeah, this is the skinniest, I think, we're ever going to see him. Um, but, so this was with the WWE, because
1: I know after this he's WCW, yeah. right? He's not really, like, employed by the WWE, so what what happens is he's he's just working, like, tryout matches, uh, dark matches that air before, they're, or that happen before they're even on TV, so it's not like he's actually a part of the company. Okay. Um, there is an interesting moment in this match where uh he gets a really stiff clothesline and his jaw gets dislocated in the middle of the match and he Ooh. finishes the match. Which uh, I mean, you that's can just see a... it hanging at one point in there.
2: That is just a like staple of Foley's career. I think you know
1: having some horrible injury
2: and finishing the match and yeah. finishing
1: the match. Yeah. Um.
2: But, yeah, no, I, but I do like that, you know, here he's still a little bit squishy. He's still a little bit flabby. Mick Foley just goes to show that you don't have to have, the. you don't got to look like Triple H to be a great wrestler. And I like that about him.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I do, too. I I like Beefy Boy. Um. So Mick Foley's going to get his first uh, big major shot when he, he ends up going to, uh, World Championship Wrestling in 1991 uh, starts off a feud with Sting pretty quickly, which is a a really good spot for him to be on so early in his career. He's wrestling the WCW champion and the top guy in the company, like, of all time. That's pretty damn huge. Yeah, I mean, that's like if you immediately... Got
2: in the WWE and like immediately started feuding with Hulk Hogan.
1: Yeah, seriously. Uh, uh, and to put a guy like you said, he's not your traditional look of a wrestler. So to and and WCW was a very traditional kind of wrestling. So I it's it's kind of almost shocking to see them uh, put him in that spot. Yeah, I was
2: thinking that as I was watching it that, you know, because I, I didn't, I was going to ask you, you know, how big is Sting at this point in 92 when we're seeing him in this match with Foley? Well, he's, he's the world
1: champion at, the, oh, wow. at this point. So, so, pretty, so, I mean, pretty huge. So, yeah, uh, and, and, and Sting is, like, WCW's, like, true, like, true homegrown talent, Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing. Uh, at Beach Blast nineteen ninety two, uh, he's wrestling as Cactus Jack, uh, basically just a guy who likes pain and beating people up and shit. Um, you know, it's it's not quite the uh, the Mick Foley that we see, but he's still pretty hardcore for a company that didn't really do hardcore.
2: Yeah, and, you know, no, his
1: I, style was not real. I, I think this is why he didn't last too long in WCW. Is that uh, they didn't they didn't really like this kind of style.
2: Well, and that's like you know, I think that Foley's style at this point his brutality hasn't come into its own. But you can see it in this match. You could see what he's going for, and the Attitude Era was the perfect time for Mick Foley and Mick Foley was the perfect man for the Attitude Era.
1: Mhm. For sure. Um so this is going to be a false count anywhere match uh where they start brawling on the on the ramp pretty early. Uh, we get some of Cactus Jack's signature moves, like the elbow drop from the apron and a swinging neckbreaker on the floor. Uh, he does a really cool sunset flip powerbomb on the floor. They they wrestle in the crowd. Uh, and they even do some mat wrestling in the ring, so you get to see a little bit of everything from Mick Foley here. Um, yeah, and you know, I
2: frequently criticize uh, in this show when wrestlers go out into the crowd and when when that happens because i'm like i can't tell what's going on but i don't get that with mick foley like whenever mick foley does something that with if another wrestler did it i usually would be like wow it's kind of lame but when mick foley does it it's awesome and i don't know how to describe
1: why that is it's a special talent you know when you can uh you can really tell a story all over the arena (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely um we get some weapon use, uh, Jack starts beating him with a steel chair. Um and uh there's a moment where he tries to go for an elbow drop off the second rope to the floor, but Sting moves out of the way. Um inside the ring, uh Sting is is uh hitting him with the uh, with the chair in the legs. He goes for the scorpion deathlock, but Cactus Jack's able to get out of it. They go to the floor. Um I just think it's uh and I and the commentary team actually seems to be putting him over here. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, they they really do um other than I mean, there is sort of a oh man, he shouldn't be he shouldn't be out there. He shouldn't be doing that outside of the ring. Get this back in the ring, but commentary always does that. But like they yeah. are really selling him um as a, because if you see McFoley and you just like lay your eyes on him, your first thought isn't this man could beat me to death with a chair. <laughs> um, but they do they do sell him pretty hard that way.
1: Um, eventually, uh, we get a uh, double arm DDT on the entrance ramp, but Sting kicks out, and Sting eventually is able to win this match uh, by coming off the top rope with a flying clothesline. And a pin on the on the ramp, so really good. I thought this was a really good match, and uh, for a long time, Mick Foley actually considered this his best match. Uh, really, and this is super early in his career, and really great spot. It, it was almost unbelievable to to see this that early in uh in Foley's career.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, I, I thought it was a it was a great match. It is quintessential Mick Foley, and it's cool that like. He's ahead of the curve on where wrestling is about to go. Um, mm-hmm. He's already thinking in terms of big spots, brutality, um, but in an entertaining way that doesn't get worn out. It doesn't overstay its welcome. And For sure. Yeah, like, he's just... The man has, in addition to a extremely resilient body, a great mind, as we're going to see throughout his career. And I think that this is, you know, him a great portrayal of that here. Mm -hmm. I also uh, would like to say that at first when he started beating up Sting with that chair, I was like, oh, I guess the Foley rule doesn't apply yet. But when Sting got the chair back, I was like, oh no, okay, good, we're here.
1: Well, that's the thing is uh, Mick Foley can just absorb so much pain. So, like, that's the thing about any kind of Mick Foley match is he's always going to take more punishment than anyone else and he's usually gonna lose that is true he loses almost all of these matches (laughs) but the thing about
2: mcfoley is that even when mcfoley loses mcfoley wins that that is a great way of putting
1: it for sure because even if
2: you know he gets like at the end of the match in a lot of these the crowd is not
1: chanting for the winner they are chanting for mcfoley absolutely Um, Mick Foley will, uh, will turn face in WCW. He has a pretty, really good feud with Vader. Um, but eventually, uh, you know, they're just, WCW has that tendency to not really, uh, really use people that you think would be really great too well. Um, so, um, he is gonna gonna go to uh, more hardcore pastures by heading over to uh, Extreme Championship Wrestling uh, in 1994. Uh, he's gonna spend some time there and, and actually you know win some titles. He's gonna he's gonna end up winning the uh, the ECW Tag Team Championship with uh, with Mikey Whipwreck. Uh, he uh, at one point he brings his uh, WCW tag team title belt and spits on it on TV. Um, And that was one thing about ECW is that they kind of let people air their grievances, and they would kind of, especially WCW, they especially hated WCW, and people would go and and talk shit about WCW when they would come over there. Um, (laughs) Right, because
2: didn't ECW, my understanding is that, when we covered them a little bit, they had a pretty – their relationship with the WWF or or now the WWE was not really one of animosity. Um
1: no, not really. In fact, WWE helped fund them a lot and they would they would do a lot of cross promotional stuff. And they did that a little bit with WCW at first and then stopped. And then it and then it truly became animosity because uh WCW poached a lot of their talent. Ah. Um Mick Foley has some really great feuds with Sandman, with Sabu. Uh, he gets into a team with Tommy Dreamer. Um, and also ends up having a having a feud with uh, with Terry Funk. During a match with Terry Funk, he uh, he sees a sign in the audience that says Kane Dewey. Uh, and Dewey is is Dewey Foley is Mick Foley's real life son. Um so after that um and and this sign implying not
2: cane like like the undertaker and but uh, rather yes. to beat one with
1: yeah to beat one with a cane yeah so someone was saying please beat up this man's child yeah um so basically here's the thing so Mick Foley's style was Hardcore. So when he was he would always stand out in places like WCW as being hardcore. Well when he comes into ECW, everybody's using the same style. So you know what? He said, I'm gonna be not hardcore. <laughs> so he started a gimmick where he would play by the rules, he would criticize hardcore wrestling, renounce it, he would he would purposely try to slow matches down to get booze from the audience. That is amazing.
2: Um, I love that
1: whatever environment you put
2: Foley into he is he's really always looking to to uh evolve and to to change to go against whatever the status quo is
1: for sure. So uh this this ends up showing how great Mick Foley is on the mic. I think this is probably Mick Foley's best mic work when he does this promo for ECW uh in 1996 uh He talks about that Kane-Dewey sign. Um, He just has some really great lines. He's really emotional. You know, he kind of has this, like, really quiet, soft-spoken kind of way of talking, and then he kind of ramps it up into almost, like, yelling. Right, Um, right.
2: No, that's the best thing about him, is that he's able to... And we see this... We've seen this before a little bit. um, Like, in that... I think it was a match against The Rock. It was, like, a... backstage match or something um, where afterwards he was talking about he was trying to kill me I have a son Mm -hmm. Um, and like but that's you know just derivative sort of of what we see here this is a great promo my favorite line from it is I've made my bed of nails and now I've got no choice but to be power bombed on it
1: yes that's, that's awesome uh, he says, Dewey Foley is a three-year-old, you sick sons of bitches. Uh, he, he says how hard it is to look his child in the eye to tell him how he traded in a bunch of money in a guaranteed contract with WCW to work for Paul Heyman. Basically, this whole promo is saying he's trying to help his friend Tommy Dreamer not end up like him and, and put his body on the line. He says it makes his blood run cold when he heard Dreamer turned down a WCW opportunity. So yeah. Uh, uh great great work here. Yeah,
2: no, because the whole the whole like general message of this promo is Tommy, I have endured so much punishment and these people are threatening to beat my child. Please get out while you can.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so which there's is just a little awesome. bit of real life mixed in with the with the uh, the, the the story here
2: yeah yeah which I mean you know classic sort of wrestling um storytelling there where where you take something real and you mix it in with the with what you're you you're selling and I think that that works really well then especially here
1: yeah absolutely um eventually you know you can't really stay in ECw forever, so he uh he finally gets a chance to make it big in the wWF um they, they decide you know they wanted to uh to give him a new gimmick uh and this is where they they possibly uh have his his best gimmick he he was he was basically they showed him some designs of a guy in a leather mask and chains so together with uh with the WWE's idea for what they want what they want to do here uh, and then Mick Foley's, you know, creative genius, they they come up with Mankind. Uh, just a a crazy schizophrenic... He used to talk to a rat named George. <laughs> uh, he would scream, Mommy, and he would, like, kind of rock back and forth in the fetal position in the ring. So, uh... And we get our first taste of that, they start airing some vignettes about him, like you know hanging out in a boiler room and he says uh he says something like he says you're going to find out just how ugly mankind can be so um yeah you know, really great character work from him here so i think what
2: works so well about mankind because mankind is probably universally known as foley's best character yeah um this episode this episode is less of i'm sorry i apologize to the the listeners out there I just get really excited about McFoley, and Peyton has already told me a lot about him, and that's that's why I'm I'm not being my usual self this week.
1: But yeah, you're not being your usual dumbass. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, but I hope that doesn't hurt the experience too much for you guys, because I just love McFoley too much to not to not be like this. Um, but it, it, I think what makes mankind work so well is like the goofiness that Foley throws in with. Because we've seen plenty of people, I feel like, step out in the WWE and be like, oh, look, I'm Scary Mask Man. And the character just falls mm-hmm. apart because there's not that much there. Whereas with Mankind, we've got, like, it's spooky, kind of. Like, this This uh, this uh, little video here is kind of spooky. But then, like, things like talking to a rat. It's also fun. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and it just... It, It comes together to make a character that is simultaneously terrifying and unpredictable
1: at the same time. I I love it. That is a great way to describe Mankind. Uh, Mankind ends up having his in-ring debut uh, on an episode of Monday Night Raw in 1996 against uh, Bob Sparkplug Holly, who uh, will later become Hardcore Holly. I'm proud uh, of myself because I wrote in my notes. Does he later become Hardcore Holly? You are correct. He does indeed. Uh, mankind is squealing, pulling his own hair out. Uh, the crowd's pretty hot for him. And I, I, the one thing, and I don't know if they do it so much here, but they do acknowledge his past as Cactus Jack, and they do talk about that. And they never really, it, not maybe not right at the beginning, but pretty... Pretty early on in his career as mankind, they do discuss him as being Mick, this guy named McFoley. Yeah, uh, there's a point where they do an interview with him in character, and they talk about you know his past and how he's become so deranged and everything. So uh, that was one thing about McFoley was always interesting is that they always treated it kind of like you know the, they called it the three faces of Foley, where they would talk about him like he's Mick Foley. he's just also three dudes.
2: See, that is what I really love. I, I, I wanted to talk about this, too. It, it, it's such an interesting thing, because every other WWE character, right, that, that they change what they are. Like, when Undertaker went to be Biker Taker, there wasn't, like, a whole lot of acknowledgement of previous Undertaker until he came back. Uh, but with Mick Foley, it's like he's the only guy that we get to acknowledge the real person and his characters all at once. It's a weird sort of breaking of the the fourth wall, almost, that I don't think we see with any
1: other wrestler. Like, for instance, Hardcore Holly doesn't wrestle, and they're like, oh, he used to be Sparkplug. Right. (laughs) They're not, like,
2: Hardcore, also known as Sparkplug Holly. Or Um,
1: Kane, they're not like, before Kane became a monster, he was a dentist.
2: (laughs) Yeah, like, everyone else gets retconned, everyone else gets wiped um but not Mick Foley because and I think that it's just because the man's personality is too strong um he himself just as Mick
1: Foley is such a good character and that's kind of a good thing cuz we never would have gotten the I think part of the allure of Mick Foley is his three personas and that he you know will switch back and forth between them really fun moment at the Royal Rumble in 1998 is when Mick Foley is Enters the Royal Rumble three different times. Once is Cactus Jack, once is Mankind, and once is a Dude Love. <laughs> um, that is awesome. Uh, that, mankind pretty much squashes Hardcore Holly here. The crowd chants, he's hardcore. Um, I assume they're not talking about Hardcore yeah,
2: Holly. Yeah, no. And then Hardcore, currently Sparkplug Holly, just hearing, laying on his back, hearing the crowd chant, he's hardcore.
1: An idea popped into his head. <laughs> Um, He ends up winning with the Mandible Claw, his, his finishing move, where he just sticks his hand in their mouth and, I, I guess, like, holds a nerve. They really sell it here in a weird way I've never seen them do before, where Hardcore Holly's, like, foaming at the mouth.
2: Yeah, man, it was—that was awesome. And this is—okay, so the Mandible Claw is new to— uh, to mankind, right? Or, or is that something he's brought over?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think he had used that move before as Cactus Jack.
2: So, like, what a great way to make this move debut with the new character! Like that looked super brutal. That's probably the best mandible claw because I've always kind of wondered with the mandible claw. I've always thought it was kind of lame because I'm like, well, you know, what does it really do? It's just a do. Well, I mean, you are probably ball.
1: used to seeing him do it with a sock on his hand.
2: Yeah, that too. Um, but when you see it here, it's like, oh, I would not want that to be me. Hmm.
1: Yeah. No. I, I mean, it, it, it's it's not the most impressive move, but I mean, I guess if you're thinking of it as like a nerve hold in your mouth, it could be kind of kind of hurty. Yeah. No. i mean, When you
2: see like spark plug Holly writhing around on the ground with foam coming out of his mouth, while Mick Foley's standing up just staring at his. His yeah, fingers. it's a regular,
1: it's a regular foam party for sure. <laughs> it's a foam adventure, if you will. Um, mankind ends up having a really great match with uh with Shawn Michaels. He has a, a feud with the Undertaker, and actually Paul Bearer ends up um siding with mankind and uh and managing mankind, and he even calls him Uncle Paul. Um. He'll lose a Buried Alive match to The Undertaker, but ends up burying The Undertaker himself later. Um. During—a uh, little bit later is when they do the interview with Jim Ross. JR interviews Mankind, and he talks about his past. They show some videos of him jumping off the roof as as his hippie-inspired character that he played when he was a kid. When he was like wrestling in his backyard, dude, love. Um, oh. So, around the same time, uh, Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels win the WWE Tag Team Championships, uh, but Shawn Michaels gets injured, and so Austin needs a new partner. Mankind is like, hey, why don't you pick me, Steve? But, uh, but Austin's like, no, you're a freak, and so he just decides to uh, to wrestle alone without a partner. Uh, and that's where we come to here, uh, in, uh, in Raw of, uh, in this episode of Raw from, uh, from 98. Um, and... Sorry. Oh, so, so Austin is gonna face off against Owen Hart and British Bulldog to defend the Tag Team Championships by himself. Um, Austin actually ends up, uh, holding his own... But uh, the numbers game does end up getting to him. The announcers say that Austin's partner has arrived, and we only see his feet walking as they go to commercial. They come back, and the partner's still not there. Uh, Dude Love is uh, walking pretty slow, I guess. (laughs) Um, Eventually, we finally see Dude Love show up on the Titantron, and he calls Austin, Stevio, and he says, Oh, have mercy. So we've got, uh, we've got our third face of Foley here making his debut, Dude Love. Okay. What do you think of Dude Love? People hate
2: Dude Love. They're like, it's the weakest Foley persona. I love it. I love Dude Love. I think he's great. I think that, like, I, I don't know. I think it's goofy. I think it's fun. And I think that... I I didn't know the backstory either, that that was his, his, you know, what he wrestled as when he was a kid, just playing around in the backyard. That's awesome. Uh, I I love Dude Love. I, I love him.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's kind of fun. He's definitely the weakest one, and it's the one he plays the least. I don't even remember the last time he did Dude Love. Uh. Because he really he really did not do dude love that often. But I love um, how the
2: commentary team explains it. And here's just another great example of commentary really adding to the story. Because they, they sell it as, well, dude love is the sort of alter ego to mankind. Because mankind is mad because he's ugly and he's not loved by anyone. But dude love is the part of mankind that wants to be loved by everyone and wants to be like sean michaels
1: it, it's funny uh he his uh dude loves finishing move used to be the sweet shin music uh, <laughs> He super kick someone in the shin I love um uh, you can tell he's having a lot of fun as as the dudester i know that's why i like dude love so much
2: is because like mick foley just gets to like have a lot of fun with it
1: yeah for sure Um, Dude Love comes into the ring, uh, he, uh, he gets the mandible claw at one point, but Brett, or Owen Hart breaks it up with a, with a drop kick. As the ref is getting hard out of the ring, Austin, uh, hits the British Bulldog with a stunner, and Dude Love covers, and they get the win, and they win the WWE Tag Team Championships, um, and two uh, two groupies jump in the ring and are just like all over dude love. Jr. says that dude love is a sex idol.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I love that. Immediately
2: upon winning, Foley, who was supposed to be this ugly, you know, cretin, is immediately <laughs> just like surrounded by women, <laughs> and it's it's awesome. Uh, and I, I also love... love his music. Yes, it's hey hey. Hey, hey <laughs> um, um. I, I and I love that that Austin is like, "Oh, I respect you now, And you know, here with uh I did want to talk about briefly because Austin's like the biggest guy. um putting him with Austin, is that you know, you think a move to bump?
1: Well, at this point, at this point, he's skyrocketing, but he's he's not like the top guy just yet. Okay, you know Austin hasn't won the world title yet. Austin hasn't, you know, been, you know, he's not quite a main eventer yet. So Austin still hasn't quite gotten there yet. Um, Okay, but it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Dude, love and the and the ladies dance to his music. Uh, So a fun a fun little little break there. Uh, But now let's get into the match that uh, probably Mick Foley's most famous match ever, and for good. Reason, If you can even call it a match. I uh, call it a match. It's the King of the Ring 1998. Hell in a Cell versus his longtime enemy, the Undertaker. He's back as Mankind now. Um, uh, Jerry the King Lawler says they may not even go to the hospital after this match. They may just go straight to the morgue. <laughs> uh, mankind comes out first. He's got a steel chair. And uh, this was apparently, you know, his... So they had already had the very first Hell in a Cell, Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker. And that one was a spectacular match, a great way to introduce the Hell in a Cell concept. So Mick Foley was like, how can I make this match even better? And so apparently he was talking about it with his, with his good friend Terry Funk. And, and Mick Foley says, hey, what if I started on top of the cell? And he did. <laughs> he started on top of the cell. Um, and so the Undertaker comes out. They start brawling on top of the cell. Um, and uh, he's got a chair. He's hitting him with it. At one point, it looks like the roof is starting to cave in beneath them, to, uh, signaling things to come. Yeah, do you think that that was intentional, or do you think
2: that that's a goof?
1: When it started caving in right then?
2: Yeah, yeah, at the beginning.
1: Uh, I don't think that was intentional, because when it happens a little bit later, that was also not intentional, so... (laughs) Um... Um, What was intentional was Undertaker throwing Mankind off of the cell and through the announce table.
2: Yeah, um... And that happens, like, less than five minutes into this match. We start off with that. And you think, like, okay, that's the biggest spot of the match. How do you... How do we go up from there? And... I don't think that anyone expected that what would what they had planned was was going to happen.
1: Um, Jr. always has said that you know he liked to know as little about the matches as he could, um, so that he so that his reactions would be as genuine as possible during the show. So his reaction when Mankind gets thrown off the cell. Seems pretty genuine. They show replays over and over again. This really was the only way to go up from the Shawn Michaels and Undertaker match. And Mick Foley has said, he's like, the Shawn Michaels and Undertaker match was much better. This one is much more brutal, and here's the thing about the Hell in a Cell match, is after those two matches, you really can't do anything crazier. No, you can't Like, no Hell in a Cell match has ever been as good as the first two. Yeah, Um, and personally,
2: and I understand that Mr. Foley himself likes the first one more, but he is a very modest man. I think that this one, to me, is the superior match. It is the Terminator 2 of Hell in a Cell. Yeah,
1: for sure. It, uh, it's definitely the one that's, that's, uh, that's more significant. Now, if this is the Terminator 2, what is the one of Undertaker and Kane? Oh, that's gonna be, like, Terminator Salvation or something. Yeah, that's, that's what I was, (laughs) that's what I was thinking. No, it's like, no, (laughs) the Undertaker and Kane match is, like, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Uh, so we get referees, doctors, EMTs, and Terry Funk. I'll come down to the ringside to check on Mankind. Vince McMahon and Sergeant Slaughter even come down so you know, you know it's serious. They actually have to raise the cage to get a stretcher out while Undertaker's just standing on top. And I don't know if you know this. Undertaker was also working this match with like a like a like a fractured ankle or something. Oh. Uh.
2: you know, I, cause I was thinking, it must be great to to learn that you're doing a match with Mick Foley. It must be awesome. That must be every wrestler's dream. Not just because, you know, he's a great wrestler and all that, but also because you don't have to do anything. He'll he'll do it all himself. <laughs> uh, Mick Foley, it's like watching, you know, like that scene in Fight Club where he's beating himself up.
1: <laughs>
2: that's Mick yeah. Foley to me.
1: It really is. Because he didn't have to.
2: No, he didn't. And that's what's also so so awesome about him, is that he has an idea, like... I want to be thrown off the cell. Or someone should be thrown off the cell. And the answer to, like, oh, who should it be is always me. I will do it. I came up with the idea. I will follow through.
1: Um, this match is so famous. It's so prominent in wrestling history. I'm pretty sure it's the only wrestling match that has its own Wikipedia page. Really? A Wikipedia page just for the match. Because uh, I- I'm trying to find out... Uh, about Undertaker's foot. Uh oh, he was wrestling with a broken foot. Um and then uh and then and then Mick Foley once he gets thrown off the cell and through the and through the table, he dislocates his shoulder. Uh and you kind of can see that that he's kind of favoring his arm there.
2: Yeah, so, you know, whenever if you're ever talking about wrestling and someone goes, "Man, well, I don't like wrestling because it's fake." Point to these very real injuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you see, when he comes off the top of that cell, too, the the man, I mean, he knows what he's doing. He rotates in midair, which I think is impressive, because uh, he gets thrown off sort of face-first, and he turns on his back and hits the table with his back.
1: Yeah. But yeah, he definitely knows what he's doing, because this was, even though this is probably the one that's more famous... Of the two huge spots of the night, this is actually the one that went more according to plan. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, Vince actually looks genuinely concerned outside, and apparently after the match, he would tell Mick Foley, thank you for all your uh, all you've ever done, but please don't ever do anything like that again. <laughs> um, they take Mankind out on a stretcher, but he gets up, and he walks back to the ring, and the crowd is just eating it up. Um, Which, they, I mean... He climbs back up the cell, so, you know— that's pretty crazy because Hell in a Cell matches. First of all, they rarely start like this. This one yeah. is like a like a reverse Hell in a Cell match, um, where the biggest spot came first. Uh, but rarely does someone get thrown off the cell, and then they and then they're not done on top of the cell. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they're back up on the cell now. Um... And uh and then that's when Undertaker chokeslams Mankind straight through the roof of the cell. It gives way. He goes through the cell down to the mat. Uh the chair that's on top of the cell hits him in the face on the way down. Right. Uh, and and, this... and King says that's it, he's dead. Just <laughs> very point blank. This spot
2: here something did go wrong with if I if if I'm correct, right?
1: Yes. Um, so, so, from what I am, uh, from, from what I, I understand, is that, uh, is that the, the cell was supposed to kind of, it was supposed to kind of cave in a little bit, and it was, they were, basically he was supposed to keep slamming him, Undertaker was supposed to keep slamming him into the, uh, onto the roof, and it was supposed to slowly kind of give in. And as it kind of caved in more, the fall would not be, would not would not be a, a, as brutal. Right. Him just going straight through was uh, was not planned. And the chair,
2: uh, additionally, I don't think yeah. was was supposed to be in the mix. And he and
1: he gets knocked out. It knocked him out. Oh, um, yeah, really? And, and he apparently he does not come back to until. Uh, until when Undertaker starts starts doing the old school later in the match, is, he, he's blacked out until that point. Can you imagine? I mean, you know, we talked
2: about—we just made that Terminator reference earlier. This man is a
1: Terminator. Mm-hmm. Terry Funk said uh, he thought Mick Foley was dead. He really did think he died. Um, wow! Uh, Undertaker, uh, Undertaker also says he thought he was, he was dead. Um, uh, you can almost see Undertaker looking a bit concerned there, um, looking down on him. Uh, it's, it's just brutal. Um, and you can actually tell they're kind of stalling to give Mick some time to recover, because, uh, because Taker starts beating up on the EMTs, he slams Terry Funk right out of his shoes, <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then that's when uh, Taker tries to go old school. But Mankind comes back and, and crotches Taker on the ropes. And that's when he finally comes back too. They uh, they do a close up on Mankind, and you can see a tooth coming out of his nose.
2: Yeah, the the tooth coming out of his nose is one of the grossest things, but just shows this man's commitment to the show which is just i mean i think the only the only time i've seen anyone take similar amounts of punishment is actually shane mcmahon going through that glass Mm -hmm. Uh, which i don't think we've covered i don't know if we ever we will cover it but it is a a classic moment um where shane mcmahon think you know it's supposed to be like the prop glass but it's accidentally
1: real glass and he goes through it. It's like the it. opposite of this. Yeah. <laughs> he goes through Where it twice. He's supposed to go through the glass and he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he keeps just getting slammed on his head. Uh,
2: and keeps asking to be slammed on his head. Yeah. And, but I think that that is the only other comparable moment to me to anyone being this committed to the match.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's a good point. Um,. And it's crazy. It's crazy that the match is not over. It, truly, this is, like, the match is just starting now. Right. Like, like, all this before is, like, just, is, like, the build, is, like, the pre-match brawl. This, <laughs> this is the match. Uh, so, uh, and Mankind actually does it, you get in some offense here. You know, you kind of just remember it for the big spots, but actually, you know, Mankind actually does... Put some punishment on to take her.
2: Yeah, there's uh, actual t- wrestling that happens after the man falls. <clears throat> there's actual wrestling that happens after the man falls off of the cell, which has to be a twenty foot drop to that table, I- if not more. I believe it's it's sixteen feet. Okay, um, and then and then the drop from the top of the cell to the ring inside, just insane. Just it, and we're still... He's still able to, to fight.
1: Hmm. Yeah. It's, uh... <laughs> it's crazy that this isn't over yet. Um, Taker goes for a suicide dive, but Mankind gets out of the way, and uh Taker hits the cell head first. He's bleeding from the head now. Um, Mankind pile-drives Taker onto a steel chair. Uh... Leg drops that chair into his face. Finally, he, uh, he brings out those thumbtacks and starts sprinkling them around on the mat. Um, and what do we know about yeah. thumbtacks? We know. They're coarse. They're rough. They get everywhere. They get everywhere. <laughs> and if you are the one that
2: brings them into the ring, you are the one that they will go into.
1: That is, that's, that's a good point. I think just in general, whoever brings out the weapon always gets it used on them. Absolutely, um, but yeah, man.
2: The you know I was thinking that when I watched this, I'm like thumbtacks have to be like the glitter of wrestling. Like, how do you get rid of all? How do you clear the ring for the next match?
1: You don't. I because I, I think I remember this match. As you could see, you know, like you could see them walking around and getting thumbtacks in their boots and stuff. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, of course, Mankind ends up going on the tacks, backdropped back onto the thumbtacks, and then choke slammed onto the thumbtacks, and Taker finally hits a tombstone pile driver and pins Mankind for the win.
2: Now, I do want to say, when that man goes onto the thumbtacks for the first time, he doesn't just get slammed onto them and lay there. He rolls around yeah. in them. He rolls himself in them. Like he's battering himself to be deep-fried. <laughs>
1: The other thing about Thumbtacks is I've rarely seen Thumbtacks outside of a Mick Foley match. Yeah, no, it doesn't happen a lot. The only one I can think of is a very egregious example where they had a Ric Flair Big Show match that had Thumbtacks. which wow, that's just a weird... That sounds, yeah, it just sounds wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Mankind is helped out of the ring and he gets a standing ovation uh, for what is... Uh, because... Even when Mick Foley loses, Mick Foley wins for sure. So Mick Foley is now at a point in his career where he has taken much too much punishment. Yes. Um. So he decides, you know, to kind of slow things down a little bit. He kind of plays down the uh the the more psychotic aspects of his character, and he starts kind of being a little more fun. Uh, and this is where we get the debut of A really important part of Mick Foley's care, Or of Mankind's character, I-, I think Absolutely,
2: I agree Because Mick Foley, you know he In an interview I listened to with him once One of my favorite interviews with him He was talking about how He would, you know it, Being in this industry It is when you, when you can't do one thing You have to evolve into another thing You have mm-hmm. to keep changing Or else you're going to be left behind and so when his body gives out, his mind is still very sharp, and he's a very funny man. Uh, yeah. So we start getting these comedy angles that are awesome.
1: For sure. And Mick Foley, a lot of—here's a, a of, the thing. Wrestlers are not comedians, and sometimes the WWE expects them to be. Yes. And not everyone can do comedy. And yeah. not everyone should. Agreed. <laughs> but, but Mick Foley can. He can. He
2: absolutely can. The thing about McFoley is that I think he is, and this is going to be a weird, weird thing to say. And I, give me pushback if you, if you'd like. I think he's more of an actor than he is a wrestler. He is an actor playing a wrestler a lot of
1: the time. I see that. I see that because a lot of the, like the 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 Hell in a Cell matches is, is like a like a stunt show, really. Right. Exactly. Um, I see a lot of times when people will be like, what are your top favorite uh, Mick Foley matches except for the Hell in a Cell match? Right, right. Because you kind of have to exclude that one. Um, so Vince McMahon is uh, in the hospital here on this episode of Raw in 1998. And the doctor tells him he has a visitor, and it's mankind with balloons, candy, and some female entertainment.
2: Some female entertainment. My favorite line from this before she comes in the room. She does a trick with a dog that you wouldn't believe,
1: <laughs> and it's uh, it's Yurple the Purple Clown. Uh, but she's not the real big guest here. That's actually Mister Sacco, <laughs> who gives Vince's boo boo a big kiss. Oh man!
2: And like, okay, Yurple the Purple Clown is a very goofy, sort of weird character, and but like. Whenever the WWE tries to be funny in this way, it so seldom works. You know, they're like, "Oh, let's bring in a guy in a turkey suit or a clown, or unfortunately and very sort of um, offensively a little person." But mm-hmm. you know, like, and none of that stuff lands. But this lands because something something about sung. a man
1: with a sock on his hand is just great. It's just fantastic. Um so this is this is a, a moment where Mick Foley changes but it uh, does a lot of great this this is his the most successful part of his career at this point.
2: Yeah, and I love it. I love I love this part of Mick Foley's career. And that's what I really like about Mick Foley is that he's got, you know, and because he's so multi-talented, he has all these different characters. There's a little something there for everybody.
1: Hmm, for sure. Um Mankind is is now getting pushed to a main event spot, which is kind of for a guy of his kind of look, is really unbelievable. Yeah, you know, that he's that he's getting that opportunity. Um, so in on an episode of Raw in 1999, uh, Mankind is going to challenge The Rock for the WWF Championship. The Rock is quite possibly Mick Foley's greatest rival and partner. Uh, Mankind and The Rock. Whether their partners or whether their opponents are always doing great stuff. Uh, I didn't include any any rock matches here. Uh, their most famous match we're, we're going to talk a, a lot about more in detail um, in our next episode. But
2: um, oh, are we actually? I didn't know we were going to cover that um, next because I was I was ready to talk about it here.
1: But yeah, well it, it well the Beyond the Mat documentary that's a big part of it. We'll we'll talk about it too. The match with the Rock. Uh, the other match with the Rock, the, right? The Royal Rumble match. Uh,
2: um, but
1: yeah, I'm, I'm thinking
2: specifically of the I Quit. Uh,
1: yeah, that's the one I'm talking about.
2: Which you know we'll save that for next time to sort of save some suspense. But it, that is the one match that Mick Foley absolutely hates. He yeah, he's he. That's the one match that Mick Foley's like. No, we went way too far, and that was genuinely dangerous, and we should not have done it. And yeah, we'll talk. That's just a teaser for it, but we'll
1: talk about it more next time. So on this episode of Raw in 1999, Mankind's coming out with Degeneration generation X, while The Rock comes out with The Corporation. This is a no-disqualification match, so you know there's going to be plenty of kind of shenanigans here. The announcers are talking about just how ridiculous it would be if Mankind were to win and become the WWF champion. Um, and we get, uh, we, we get some, some outside action here. We get slam, uh, mankind slamming the rock into the announce table. There's some great signs in the crowd, like "Mankind, you're a nut," and "Sako is my dad." (laughs) Uh, Rock's being pretty brutal with him. uh, Slams him into the steps, and then he kind of he he puts the steps on top of mankind's head, and then slams. It's kind of like sandwiches his head into the into the steps. Um, he puts on a headset and starts doing his own commentary, but Mick Foley cuts him off, and then he kind of does the same thing. He gets (laughs) on the headset, and he's like, Mankind is showing a lot of testicular fortitude.
2: And I love, I love, like, him referring to himself in the third person there. That's great.
1: Um, Mankind gets, uh, or The Rock hits Mankind with the ring bell. It sounds like it kind of hurt. or You could hear it kind of ring. Pretty loudly,
2: yeah, yeah. You, you could. Um, that was I, and I don't know how you how you fake that either. That seemed like it
1: was a pretty stiff hit. Mm-hmm. Um, the rock starts choking him with a tape with a cable. Uh, for that ring bell spot, I think he probably maybe hit him with like the edge of the of the thing, and maybe not didn't hit him with the actual steel steel bell part. I'd have to see it again to to really tell.
2: Right. I, I mean, I imagine if you get hit with the steel bell part, you are going to die. Or
1: well, Mick Foley's been through a lot of stuff that you would think would have killed him. Excellent point. Uh Rock hits a rock bottom on Mankind through the announce table, gets him in the ring and covers him for a two count. Uh, I noticed we both put this on our notes where the the commentator says this is not a title match this is going to start 2 minutes before we go off the air. You were questioning if it was a reference to Montreal. It could be, but I think it's a reference to uh WCW uh who would often they would put uh, I main event matches and, and in one case on a pay per view where they went too long on the pay per view and they went over and so it cut off for a oh, lot of people. Oh, yeah, no, because
2: I could tell that that line was a reference or a shot at something. I just didn't yeah. quite know. I didn't what. think
1: about it being Montreal. It could it could have been about Montreal. Um,
2: I I imagine that it's much more like you were saying WCW sort of uh, a shot at them.
1: And there's a good a good WCW uh, point here that I, that I'll bring up once we once we finish talking about the match. But uh, uh, Rock hits the people's elbow, uh, but Mankind kicks out, uh, and then we start getting some interference. Big Boss Man grabs Mankind by the leg and distracts him. Rock hits him with the with the belt. Mankind's still kicking out here. Um, Mankind hits a double double RMBT on the belt. Then he pulls out Mr. Socko and puts him in the Mandible Claw. But now Ken Shamrock is getting in, hits him with a chair, and then all hell breaks loose, DX and Corporation start brawling, and then Steve Austin's music hits, and the crowd goes nuts. Uh, and Austin runs down to the ring, smacks Rock in the head with a chair, and puts Mankind on top of Rock for the three count. Crowd's going nuts. It does kind of suck that Mankind's first world title win is all because of Steve Austin.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree. It it's not it it's not the way that I think Mick Foley should have been treated here. Um, I'm glad he got the title win, but it does suck that like it's literally just because Steve Austin won the match for him.
1: And he'll go on to win it two more times with it a little more decisively. Um, but it is a pretty big moment. Uh, they are, they're celebrating, uh, Mankind gets on the mic, he says, Vince, I gotta tell you, this feels, feels pretty damn good. He says, at the risk of not sounding very cool, I'd like to dedicate this to my two little people at home. Big Daddy-O did it. And he just starts running around the ring in, (laughs) in pure excitement. It's Um, such an important... Great moment. An important note in this match, um... This match, uh, Raw did not always come on live every week. It would, it would alternate. Some weeks it would be live, some weeks it would be taped. This was a, a circumstance where Raw was taped a few days before. What WCW liked to do when Raw was taped is is spoil the show, spoil Raw on the live WCW. Aww. Somehow they would get a hold of the results, and they'd spoil it, so they they'd say things like, "Hey, if you're gonna change the competition, don't worry. This is all that happened. Keep watching us, because uh, they were on at the same time." So Tony Schiavone, uh, one of the world wrestling or world championship wrestling commentators at this time for Nitro, uh, is instructed to to say this: "If you're even thinking about changing
2: the channel to our competition, fans do not."
1: The legend has it that hundreds of thousands of people switched over to Raw <gasps> after that because people actually wanted to see Mick Foley win good, good, that is awesome that is, what a great
2: what a scumbag move and a great backfire for it I and love- you want to
1: know what Nitro's main event was that night? what? it was Kevin Nash versus Hulk Hogan for the WCW championship uh, I Kevin Nash won. and Hulk Hogan both um, were both had creative control. Uh, Kevin Nash uh, won the WCW World Championship by ending Goldberg's undefeated streak previously when Scott Hall tased him. And then Kevin Nash came out to wrestle Hulk Hogan, who they used to be part of the NWO together. They had broken up. And infamously, the match, the bell rings, Hulk Hogan walks up to Kevin Nash, pokes him in the chest, and Kevin Nash lays down, Hulk Hogan pins him, and wins, and they start celebrating together to reform the NWO. Ugh. So, that's how they were treating their world title. It's called the Finger Poke of Doom. Yeah. Man. That... And if you were
2: someone that watched that, I bet you were like, Man, I really missed out on seeing Mick Foley. Yeah. Uh yeah, man, but that 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 is insane. I am I'm glad that it came back to bite them though, and I'm glad that Mick Foley was the man to make it happen.
1: It's just so silly that they would they and and Tony Shivani says he felt dumb saying that. But they tried to bury Mankind or Mick Foley, and it just sounded dumb because everybody loved him. So it was not, you know—they tried to treat it as like, oh, what a joke, but— Right, right. You know. But you uh, can't—when
2: people—I mean, when people regularly chant for this man after he loses, you you can't expect that you trying to put him down is going to look good for you.
1: Yeah. Um. Also, I, I
2: wanted to, to do a brief note, on because you mentioned Mr. Socko and the Mandible Claw, but for the, those of you who have not seen this physically, um, who, who, who may have a little bit of trouble putting those two things together, Mr. Socko is obviously a sock, pu- sock puppet that Mick Foley puts on his hand, and he pulls it out of his pants before he does the Mandible Claw where he sticks his fingers in your mouth, so just wanted to give you a visual on that.
1: Thank you for explaining that to our audience. I'm sorry I did not do that before. Um, so Mick Foley is kind of in in the height of his career. Like I said, he's going to win the WWF title two more times, have some really great matches with The Rock, some really brutal ones like the I Quit match at the Royal Rumble we mentioned. The 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 empty arena match on Heat. Uh but eventually they're going to the, the Rock's going to turn face and they're going to form a tag team together um and they end up winning the the tag team championships um and they kind of have this dynamic of the rock is still acting really cool and mankind is like kind of kind of sucking up to him and really wanting to be his friend and kind of getting the cold shoulder um they uh they end up having a uh a there's a fatal four-way match at unforgiven the night before and, and mankind ends up using the mandible claw on the rock so he feels really bad about it so he decides to throw the rock a surprise and this is your life here on this episode of raw 1999 um yeah so so could you explain the
2: concept of this is your life uh for for those that may be unfamiliar
1: it, it, that's like an outside of wrestling thing, right? I think so. I
2: think it was like a thing. It, it, my understanding is that it was a thing sort of in the 90s but it sort of died out. Because I didn't really know what it was before you showed me this bit.
1: Yeah, I, I, I know it from this. Okay, so This Is Your Life was, in a, it was a documentary. You see, we're showing how young we are. Uh. Uh, this, Well, okay, to be fair, actually This Is Your Life came on f- from 1952 to 1961. So, I mean, like, Okay, we're not that young. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, it is pretty old. Uh so yeah, I don't know, it was like a documentary series where they would basically just uh find a person and just like ordinary people and 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 show you know, bring out people who they had a big impact on or who had a big impact on them and and, and Just kind of look through their life. Uh, So they decide to do this with Mankind and The Rock. This is just a great segment. Oh, yes. Apparently, it is is, uh, one of the highest rated wrestling or non wrestling segments in the history of Raw. That is amazing. They're they're still right in the middle of the Attitude Era. I mean, they're kicking WCW's ass right now, and this is one of the things that does it. Um, and man, I just love rock and sock connection. It's it's the best. Me too. Um Mankind comes out with balloons and presents. Uh he says he's trying to apologize to him. He says the, he wants to make the rock and sock connection live on. Rock has a match against Triple H later in the show for the WWF championship, so he's like he's like, you know, I'm kinda trying to, you know, focus on something else here. So he's like, I accept your apology, I got my ass kicked, it, it, that's on me. And, uh, and, so w- we try to move on, but Mankind is like, no, this is big, this is important, as a matter of fact, this is your life! And music, and confetti, and balloons, and uh, he starts bringing out characters from The Rock's past. Uh, and I I do
2: love too that like with the confetti and the balloons and everything the story is that McFoley is all paying for this out of pocket.
1: You're like, who paid for this? <laughs> mankind did, I guess. Uh, an old lady. Co- this is actually really funny. An old lady comes out, and mankind says, "Your home ec teacher, Mrs. Griffith," and the lower third very clearly says, "English teacher, Mrs. Schubert." <laughs> They just go along with it. Because, and you you asked here, you know, how much of this was scripted. Very little of it. <laughs> which is why stuff like that doesn't match. And apparently they went way too long with this, and Vince McMahon was mad. Because this, la- this lasts, like, 25 minutes.
2: Yes, but it's so good. It's amazing.
1: And, and, yeah, so, they, uh, yeah, no, it's it's great, and it worked, but it was one of those things that it was like you were mad until you realized that it worked. Right, right. Um, Rock looks truly pissed off. Um, mankind says uh, that Mrs. Griffith is the first person who smelled what the Rock was cooking. Um, and this is just so funny, because the Rock is still holds a grudge because she wouldn't let him make pancakes.
2: <laughs> yeah, because she, would, she wanted him to make blueberry muffins and... Now on the last day of class, right before summer break, you told the rock that we could make pancakes. (laughs) But then you said
1: that you were out of Aunt Jemima. (laughs) Just amazing. And he he says he asked her if she knows her roles. And she said, she, he says, you should know your role and shut your mouth. And then my favorite line, he says, Check your Aunt Jemima, no pancake, have an ass, right into the SmackDown <laughs> Hotel. Um, uh. Next up is The Rock's football coach. Um, and these, of course, are all actors. These are not, like, really his football coach or really his home ec teacher. Of course, yes. Um. The Rock asks if he remembers the last game of the season where he apparently DDT'd another player. Oh,
2: man. I just love that. I love the implication that when The Rock was wrestling, or not wrestling, but he was playing football in high school, he
1: was using pro wrestling
2: moves on the other team.
1: Hey, his dad and his grandpa were wrestlers. Yeah, good point. Uh... But I do think it's, like, he, he's, like, really pissed off about the fact that his coach would not let him perform wrestling moves <laughs> on o, on his football opponents. Uh, he says the coach has a nice whistle. He tells him to shine it up real nice and stick it up his candy ass. The crowd is eating this segment up. Uh, they're ag- absolutely going nuts. Uh... At one point, and Mankind is, is, like, going along with it. He's like, what the hell is your problem taking the rock out of the game? <laughs> uh, mankind tries to do the millions and millions bit, but the rock stops him and he says, don't you ever do that again. <laughs> Next out is Rock's high school sweetheart, Joanne. This is this where is... we get a little problematic. Yeah, but they it's basically still funny. talk about how he used to make out with her and use his tongue although i do have to mention this she says she used to re- re- whisper to the rock she says go for second base he said he put his hand up her knee and slid it up her dress and she cut him off but isn't that third base yeah
2: yeah that i think was his point is that is that she wouldn't let him sort of pass that
1: threshold oh okay i i thought i thought it was like i didn't get to second but he's clearly going for third. He asks if she's gonna serve him up a piece of that poontang pie, and King is absolutely losing his <laughs> shit. <laughs> he tells her to poontang her ass on out of here. Oh. The crowd is chanting for the rock. Mankind says he's sorry, He didn't know the teacher would be a bitch, the coach would be a jerk, and the girlfriend would be a skank. Mankind says it's time to open presents. The Rock gets a rock and sock connection jacket. Mankind has one too. The crowd is chanting rock and sock. Uh, his next present is. Uh, tell, tell us what his next present is. Zach. His
2: next present is something that, while we were recording this episode, I've tried to look up on Amazon for myself and you, Peyton, but cannot find. Damn a Mister Rocco, which is just Mister Socko, but with the Rock's face printed on it so it's a sock <laughs> puppet
1: of the rock a rock puppet <laughs> yes a rock puppet um finally uh there's someone who's been hiding under a blanket the whole time and we 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 bring that person out and guess who it is it's the long awaited return of Yerple the purple clown she gives the rock a sticker that says i like you uh Get it? I like you. Yes. Uh, the letters
2: I, Y, and Q for I like you. Sort of a, a pre internet hello. Hello. <laughs>
1: um, Rock asks what her name is and says, It doesn't matter what your name is. The Rock has more catchphrases than anyone in wrestling history. Absolutely. And they're all amazing. Um,. Mankind's starting to get upset that The Rock didn't appreciate anything he did for him. They start singing happy birthday to The Rock as the crowd sings along. They bring out a cake with a Brahma bowl on it. And The Rock says the best line of the night. He says, The Rock's birthday is May 2nd, you stupid son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, and Mankind says something so sweet. He says, Every day he gets to spin with The Rock, it feels like somebody's birthday. <laughs> uh, well, and that's when Triple H runs in and, and ruins the whole party, and he he busted the balloons with a sledgehammer. The crowd starts chanting "asshole" at him. And, and that's uh, that's what's so
2: great about this is that like these two really could have had their own like show of some other kind together. They've got so much chemistry they're working they're together. Both
1: incredible performers. Yeah,
2: I think they're probably the best two guys uh, on the mic in in. At least the history of wrestling that I have seen,
1: mm-hmm. they're really great. Um, Mick Foley's gonna gonna spend a little bit more time uh, until his uh, his his uh, his main active career is gonna start coming to an end here in 2000. Um, he's gonna get into a rivalry with Triple H, uh, and then at No Way Out. Uh, Triple H is going to challenge him uh, to a match for the WWF Championship that's uh, going to be a, a retirement match for Mick Foley. If Mick Foley loses, uh, he's going to have to retire. But here's the thing to know about wrestling retirements is that nobody ever retires the first time. <laughs> um, and this has to be one of the like, goofiest retirements ever because it's just so laughable at how short it lasts. Uh, We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, He comes back, he brings back Cactus Jack as a way to kind of be his send off, which is kind of cool because it was his original character. Right, right. I thought that was
2: a nice little mirroring there, bookending for him. Uh,
1: And it's a Hell in a Cell match, a perfect way to go out for Mick Foley.
2: Yeah, Um, and this, I mean, this match really plays like a Mick Foley's greatest hits. It's really just a hey, guys, remember that time that I did this? And, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't come off as, I mean, if he had done it in any other context other than I am retiring, it would be weird and bad. But here it's, it's like, oh man, it's a nice walk down Mick Foley's
1: physical punishment memory lane. Yeah. Um, somebody in the crowd has a Foley will die sign. Jesus. Yeah. And I don't know why, he's the face. Uh... Cactus Jack is apparently a promise that he will jump off the cage onto Triple H, so they make, they make a big spectacle about how they're locking this cage up tight, <laughs> which is so funny because I think it's really funny that every Hell in a Cell match starts with the premise of that they will be locked inside the cage and that there will be no way out. And yet, they always get out, and there's always some sort of like storyline reason for it. Other than, uh, well, in that Undertaker Kane, Hell in a Cell, did they get out? They, they had a very brief moment at the very beginning where they were out. Ah, gotcha. But for the most part, at least in these first several, they always go outside the ring somehow. Yeah, the thing about a Hell in a or Cell is that it's really boring if you
2: don't go out of the cell.
1: Yeah, Hell out of the cell. <laughs> hell in the vicinity of the cell um, they start their brawl on the outside of the ring then inside the ring Jack's trying to escape the cage but it's super padlocked Stephanie taunts him from the outside um, we start getting some weapons out Cactus Jack gets a chair but he gets slammed into the cell uh, we I do really like the use of the cell from within the cell. They're really like slamming each other into it. Oh yeah, um, raking each other's face in the in the
2: in the cage. Man, and one thing with Mick Foley is that the man usually does have on like at least you know, especially his Cactus Jack. He's got him on like two layers. Um, yeah, it's gotta hurt a lot for Triple H to be thrown into that fencing on the cell
1: just definitely bare. Um. Jack gets slammed in the steps a few times. Triple H is getting kind of frustrated. He keeps trying to pin Cactus Jack, but can't get the win. Um, at one point, uh, Cactus Jack uses the chair and and crotches Triple H with it, and JR calls it barbaric birth control. Um, uh, Jack gets a DDT on the chair and a Russian leg sweep. Um, he can't get the pin either. Uh, Jack gets a dropped hold. Triple H trips him up, and, and Cactus Jack hits face first into that chair as it's kind of set up in a seated position. We go to the outside, and we're getting slammed into the cell. Uh, Triple H tries to hit a pile driver on Jack into the steel steps, but Jack reverses it into a slingshot that sends Triple H into the cell, busting him open. He's raking his face across the cell as he's bleeding, making him bleed even more. Um... And, uh, at one point, Cactus Jack uses the chair to assist with an elbow drop from the second rub to the floor, and Triple H is just, like, violently twitching. Yeah, I mean, he's just this. jiggling all about. He, he's like a regular gelatin man. Um, eventually, uh, Cactus Jack gets the steel steps, and he throws them at Triple H, but Triple H ducks, and the steps rip a hole in the side of the cell. I thought that was a kind of interesting way to get get outside. Yeah, man, I love
2: that. I thought that was awesome, where he where he just throws the the steps and it busts the cell open. Uh, and it really, you know, because earlier when when Triple H throws the steps at him, and he takes that big hit, you're like, oh, well, you know, how much do those steps really weigh? Well, when you see him tear open the cell, it's like, oh, that's a big hit.
1: And according to the commentators, those steps weigh like 2,000 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> um... At one point, Cactus Jack just throws himself through the cell wall, and then he throws triple H through it, and he even cuts up his arm. He starts bleeding from from his arm.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, just very brutal. Which, like, you know, the craziest thing to me is that Mick Foley's like, you know what, I gotta retire because I've taken too much physical punishment. How should I go out? Oh, I know, by taking loads of physical punishment.
1: He's like, if I don't have to retire after this one, I'm gonna be dead. So. <laughs> uh, Jack gets a pile driver on Triple H on the announce table. Uh, and then he starts climbing the cell, but Stephanie grabs his leg, pulls him down. Uh, Jack ends up stalking her, but gets cut off by Triple H. And then he picks up a two by four wrapped in barbed wire, and that sends Triple H running. Tries to escape through the crowd. He eventually, just has to climb up the cell to get away. Jack follows him up the cell with that 2x4, but Triple H gets it and starts raking Jack's face with the barbed wire. Um, and then he knocks him off the cell, and he falls backwards through the announce table. Now, fortunately, he's not being thrown off like he did with Undertaker, so he's just kind of hanging from the side, and he he takes a back bump through the, uh, through the announce table, but still.
2: Right, that's the... the- Classic sort of Shawn Michaels way to fall off of a cell through an announce table.
1: And that's the way they normally do it. Right. I'm pretty sure—you know how in the WWE video games, in a Hell in a Cell match, you can always throw someone off the cell or throw someone through the roof. That really doesn't happen that often. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Where someone just gets thrown clean off the top of the cell. Yeah. It really has only happened that one time. Uh. Um... Cactus Jack's bleeding from his head now, and he 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 keeps trying to toss a chair up to the top of the cell, but can't quite make it, so he just gives up and goes back up there. Um He gets hit in the head with that 2x4 again. Um eventually uh he is able to, to fight back, and then he lights the barbed wire 2x4 on fire. Because if a piece of wood wrapped in sharp Spiky Boys wasn't <laughs> enough. Let's make it flaming. Yeah, no. It's just awesome. It's just...
2: It, just so good. Just so so on brand, too.
1: Yeah, King is yelling at Triple H to jump, Um, but he gets hit in the face with a flaming barbed wire. Uh, Jack is signaling for a pile driver, but Triple H reverses it and backdrops Cactus Jack through the cell roof all the way to the ring, and he breaks through the ring. Um, yeah. Obviously, this one was much more planned than the other one, but, I mean, still looks... I mean, it can't have felt good. Yeah, and I guess that's really... So, I,
2: whatever spot he breaks through there and makes that big Mick Foley-sized dent in it, like it's Looney Tunes, I guess that was sort of how they balanced the the you know, you're gonna fall straight through the cell, but at least the ring will break your fall a little bit more than last time. Yeah,
1: it's it's gimmicked, it was gimmicked to break like that, and it was, I guess it was their only way they could really think of how to step this up, you know? Right, right. Um, the crowd is chanting for McFoley. uh, Triple H comes down, Cactus Jack is still not done, uh, he He's still moving, uh, and Triple H finally finishes him off with a pedigree. JR's like, kick out, kick out, Cactus! Uh, Triple H wins, gets the three count. The M- EMTs come out to help Cactus Jack, who gets a standing ovation from the crowd. And the announcers are really selling this as the last time we'll ever see him, except he would be he, his next match would be in six weeks. <laughs> it was not, not a very long retirement. Uh, what did you think of this Hell in a Cell match?
2: Um, I mean, as far as a retirement match goes, I really liked it. I, I, I thought it's fun. It's it's a little bit, like I said, it's the greatest hits of Mick Foley. It's a way of looking back at his career and sort of paying homage to all of his, his great moments.
0: hmm
1: Yeah. Uh, it, it was a pretty good match. You know, it, it's hard to, to... All Hell in a Cell matches are going to kind of live in that shadow, especially if Mick Foley's in it. But this one does okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, I thought it did fine. So Mick Foley, like I said, he's going to come out of retirement six weeks later, and he's going to wrestle in his first and only WrestleMania main event at WrestleMania 2000. Problem is that match is so cluttered. And there's so way too much going on, way too overbooked. It's for the WWF Championship, a four-man elimination match between... Triple H, The Rock, Big Show, and Mick Foley. And he's actually wrestling under the name Mick Foley there. Um, for the first time. And uh he uh he is the first person eliminated, but they do this weird gimmick where it's a McMahon in every corner because that's what we that's what we want to see in our WrestleMania event. As many McMahons as possible. <laughs> and of course Mick Foley Uh, is the first person eliminated because he chooses the weakest McMahon, Linda, um, to be in his corner. (laughs) That's amazing. Uh, and then after that, Mick Foley, Mick Foley does pretty much, uh, pretty much retire. He doesn't really come back to wrestling again until late 2003, early 2004, uh, Randy Orton is in the middle of this legend killer gimmick where he would spit in legends faces challenge him to matches and completely own them decimate him his really first big feud with a legend that actually seems to you know hold his own is going to be Mick Foley he insults Mick Foley several times spits in his face challenges him to a match and Mick Foley is about to wrestle him but ends up he he walks to the ring and he just walks back out um and and this is when Randy Orton is in evolution which is a was kind of this dominant force of a of a stable in 2004 Triple H, Randy Orton, Batista and Rick Flair. The idea is it's evolution, the past Ric Flair, the present Triple H and the future Randy Orton and Batista. Um Triple H is off doing his own thing with the WWF or the WWE championship at this point. Uh, so Randy Orton enlists the help of, of Ric Flair and Batista to really just humiliate Mick Foley. So Mick Foley has to get his own, com- his own uh, what's the word I'm looking for? His own squad. Help. His own and ally. He, uh, and he reforms the Rock and Sock connection. The Rock at this point is fully in Hollywood. The Rock is not a full-time wrestler at all. Uh, but he comes back for this for this uh this storyline here. Um and the they are gonna wrestle The Rock and Mick Foley are going to wrestle um Batista, Randy Orton, and Ric Flair at WrestleMania twenty. Very special WrestleMania in my heart because it was the very first WrestleMania I ever saw, and I knew I was super excited over this. Um and and that would actually be the Rock's last wrestling match for s- for gosh, I don't think he wrestled again until like 2011 or 2012, so like 7 or 8 years before The Rock would have another match after this one coming up at Wrestlemania. But uh, before that, in the lead up to that, um, The Rock decides to return an old favor to Mick Foley and he hosts This Is Your Life on an episode of Raw of 2004.
2: I love this so much.
1: It's I love the because, you know,
2: you'd show me the original This Is Your Life. I'd never seen this one, and I love the reversal here.
1: hmm Yes, so the rock is now is now giving McFoley the This Is Your Life treatment. And it's really sweet. Honestly, a lot of this stuff is really heartwarming. Not in just this match, but in all these matches. No, I totally Something agree. Something about Mick Foley matches, despite how brutal they are, they, they they warm your heart. They really do.
2: Yeah, and I think it's just because of how great of a guy he is.
1: Mm-hmm. That's true. The Um Rock says, Evolution took away Mick Foley's ability to have fun and smile, and that tonight he's going to give it back. Um... He's, he says they're gonna whoop Evolution's candy asses at WrestleMania. The, the crowd, no matter how long The Rock has gone, when he comes back, it's like he never left. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Rock shows a home movie of Foley jumping off a roof as a teenager dressed as Dude Love. Yes, that is actual home, home movie footage of Mick Foley jumping off a roof.
2: Which is just... I mean, that's awesome that they got to show that.
1: Um... The uh, The Rock brings out Doris Snyder, the woman who owned the house he jumped off of. Mick Foley is excited to see her. He says that she used to bring them cookies, treats, and even mouth-watering pie. <sighs> and The Rock is very confused. He says, you actually ate this woman's pie? See, here's the thing about why this kind of doesn't work. The rock is, is confused as if this as if pie is just some sort of just universal euphemism that everyone knows means vagina. Right. And I don't know that that is actually true. I'm pretty sure that's just you, rock. No, it is kind
2: of kind, but it's loose. It's not like if you just hear the word pie in public, it should not be the first thing to pop into your head.
1: Yeah, it, if if vagina is the first thing you think of when you think of pie, then you need a therapist, Dwayne. Okay, I'm going to say it
2: is for me because Dwayne did that to me with his song.
1: Oh, well, that's like—but before that, you would not have done
2: that. Yes, no, before that, when I was a regular human being that had never heard The Rock's Pie, then sure—
1: uh, Mick Foley says uh, her pie was the best on the block and all the kids lined up to have some of her pie even the girls and stray dogs even if it was a little crusty ugh, ugh. Uh, the rock asks if she's still serving pie but she says she's keeping her back door open for strudel now here's the thing I am certain that no one no one has ever used strudel to mean butthole before yeah
2: you know I think you're absolutely correct about that one
1: Hey, but there's nothing, nothing like celebrating Mick Foley's career than a joke about anal sex with an old woman, huh? Yeah, yeah. And,
2: you know, I was kind of hoping that, like, because even Mick Foley's like, Oh, well, Rock, I don't think you understand what we're talking about here. I think you think we mean something different when I say pie. And the Rock's like, No, the Rock knows exactly what you're talking about. And I'm like, Mick, I need you to tell him it's the pastry. I need to know that you're
1: talking about the pastry. For all we know... He was eating some of that pie. Ugh. Um, so Rock, uh, Rock, then says, you know, jumping off roofs is roofs is nothing compared to hitchhiking five hours to Madison Square Garden just to see wrestling. And the Rock plays a clip that actually shows Mick Foley in the crowd during that famous match where Jimmy Snuka uh, jumps off of a steel cage onto uh, Don Morocco. So the Rock brings out his uh, like there's... He Like, his family friend, they call him cousin, but I think it's, like, he's not blood cousin. I don't know. The Rock brings out WWE Hall of Famer and accused murderer Jimmy Snuka. <laughs> Foley says if it were not for Snucka, he would not be in the ring today. Uh, he asks... Uh, if Snuka will be at MSG to watch Rock and Sock Annihilate Evolution, and Snuka goes, I have no clue what he says. Yeah, no, you can't understand a single word the man's saying, and that's the thing about Mick
2: Foley. Mick Foley is pure and good and awesome. Other than this one fascination he has with Jimmy Snuka, murderer.
1: Yeah, the old lady is flirting with Jimmy Snuka. Uh She needs to watch out. He'll leave her in a ditch somewhere. <laughs> Jimmy Snuka says he loves pie, and so The Rock tells Jimmy Snuka to go take this old woman and check into a hotel and fuck. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty gross. The Rock mentions Mick Foley's book career. You know, I actually had one of Mick Foley's books. It was a children's book. It was like a illustrated book about like wrestlers. It was like wrestlers as kids. So it was like little bitty. Kurt Angle, oh, the, like, little bitty rock. I love it, that. It was cute. No, uh, I, and he's had lots of successful autobiographies and stuff too.
2: Yeah, from what I hear, he's a great author. I know he recently wrote a book about Santa Claus and the history of Santa Claus. I didn't know that. Yeah, because he got um, he got sort of obsessed with the idea of Santa. I think because someone someone sort of said that he looked like him or something. I'm not quite sure. Um, and he he got really into Santa lore,
1: and he wrote World a whole book Saint about Saint Mick. It. Right. Um. So he, The Rock, brings out Bob Thompson, the guy who apparently wrote, wrote the first review of Mick Foley's book. Foley stops him and says, "Hey, this guy wrote a terrible review of my book and he called wrestling fans idiots." He says he wants to stick Mister Socko down his throat. The Rock says that uh, this critic. Uh, represents everyone who told him he couldn't make it. Uh, The Rock says he's just like all the critics who say they can't beat Evolution at WrestleMania. The critic insults The Rock's new movie The Walking Tall and he says it'll be a walking piece of crap and it was. (laughs) Uh, Fans chant Socko. The Rock does that it doesn't matter what you think and then Foley pulls out Mr. Socko from his pants and puts the critic in the mandible claw. The Rock says, if you smell la, 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 what The Rock is cooking. But all the fun and celebration is cut short when uh, when Batista comes out. Clothesline's Rock, throws him out of the ring, and then Randy Orton Rick Ric Flair come out. They're triple-teaming Mick Foley. Um, the Rock comes in, tries to fight him off, uh, but ends up uh, getting hit with a Batista bomb. So the two f- most famous... Uh, wrestlers-turn-actors here <laughs> kind of squaring off. Oh, yeah! Man, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Uh, so, Rock and Sock are left laying in the ring. At WrestleMania 20, uh, they have a pretty entertaining match, Rock and Sock and uh, Evolution, but Rock and Sock do end up losing, of course. Uh, you know, they want to put over the younger guys and one older guy. Um. And, uh... <laughs> Uh, but Mick Foley will continue his rivalry with Randy Orton for a little bit, and they actually have a really good hardcore match that you guys should check out at, at that year's Backlash. Backlash 2004, when he, he wrestles this Cactus Jack against Randy Orton. We get all the classic Mick Foley stuff. We get barbed wire. We get thumbtacks. All the works. So of course, Orton does beat him. Uh, Mick Foley kind of, after that point, is just ends up really just being a... Uh, Making sporadic appearances, uh, eventually in 2006, he's gonna referee a match between Edge and John Cena, and uh, John Cena is gonna win, and Edge is gonna is gonna turn his attention on Mick Foley. Uh, for this match at WrestleMania 22, which I think was uh was Mick Foley's true WrestleMania moment. Ma- Mick Foley never got one of those. He'd wrestled at WrestleMania before, but he never had anything that was really spectacular or significant. But I think uh, I think that's where this happens right here.
2: Yeah, I and I absolutely agree with you. This is a this is a great moment for him,
1: and I'm glad he got to have it. Uh, Edge comes out with Lita. He's carrying a baseball bat. He looks pissed. Um, and Mick Foley comes out wearing the v- very rare blue flannel, so you know he has something up his sleeve. Hmm. Um, you know, I
2: realized something, Peyton. With all of his sweatpants, Mick Foley dresses like our old roommate and host of Feud Fight, Zach Denmark.
1: He does, doesn't he? They are (laughs) very similar in that they are are little lovable little teddy bears. Indeed. That also do some fucked up shit. (laughs) Um, Foley takes the fight to edge immediately. We got a brawl going on here. Uh, Lita tosses in a baking sheet, and Edge just straight up wraps it around McFoley's head. Edge spears McFoley, but it looks like Edge is in pain, so Foley takes off his flannel shirt to reveal that he has wrapped himself in barbed wire. <laughs> and Edge's arm is bleeding now. <clears throat> um. Edge gets tied into the ropes as McFoley pulls out a bat wrapped in barbed wire. Lita jumps on Mick Foley's back, but he just clotheslines Edge over the top rope and all three of them go falling to the outside. Um, Edge, get the kind of brutal moment is when Edge just grabs Mick Foley and tosses him right into the steel steps. Yeah.
2: And it's like, uh, Mick Foley, how are you still doing this? Because... I, I know. You know, like, any other wrestler can come back for something like this and they can have a... They could have a match, it could be kind of mediocre, it could be whatever, but they're not expected to do anything, like, too crazy. But if Mick Foley Mm -hmm. comes back, it's not a Mick Foley match unless something nuts happens.
1: Yeah, like when they bring back a legend, they might have, like, a a three- to five-minute match where they do, like, their old classic moves, and then it's all over. But Mick Foley is going to bring out all the big spots and pull out something new probably.
2: Right. And that's the thing like even if you take like The Rock and John Cena, which is a great match, and it's like a half hour long and it's it's you know very physically intensive, The Rock isn't having to like endure pain from weapons.
1: Yeah. That's very true. Um Edge starts just dousing McFoley Foley in lighter fluid. What the fuck's he gonna do? Just light him on fire? Just light a man? Can you d- can you do that? In a- I guess you can. Well, it's a hardcore match. The announce but-
2: team asks the same question, and it's answered with, well, if you go by
1: the rule book, there are no rules. So I guess you
2: can. Except that- Could you that- imagine someone just
1: lighting a dude on fire? I'm sure it's happened somewhere. I mean, yeah. I,
2: you know, I hear some- There are monks that are really into it, but-
1: I, I meant like somewhere in wrestling, someone <laughs> has probably just lit a dude on fire. Yeah,
2: I know. I was just I was just making uh, self-immolation You're just Tibetan a self-immolation to being a funny,
1: jerk. dude.
2: Um, but yeah, man, that's uh, I always think it's kind of goofy when the lighter fluid comes out in that way because it's like, okay, obviously they aren't going to do that, and obviously also this is different lighter fluid than the lighter fluid we're going to see in a little bit.
1: Well, yeah, I'd hope so. Because this is just water.
2: Maybe. Well, because think about it. If that was lighter fluid, and that got onto
1: McFoley, then yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, Edge ends up getting that barbed wire bat hits McFoley in the stomach and the back, and then in the head, which busts McFoley wide open. He starts raking that barbed wire on McFoley's face. Uh, Edge is starting to get frustrated now, so he goes outside and he grabs a bag of thumbtacks, pours them out onto the mat, and usually you'd think it's gonna be Mick Foley who gets slammed onto the tacks, but actually it's Edge. Foley backdrops Edge into the thumbtacks, and they're sticking right to his bare back. If only uh, Edge had
2: waited and let Mick Foley bring the thumbtacks in on his own time, this wouldn't have happened to him.
1: Exactly. He should be smarter than that, should have done his homework. Um... Foley pulls out Mr. Sacco and he may and this is the most hardcore Mr. Sacco of all time because he wraps his hand in barbed wire and gives edge the mandible claw. Yeah, and Lita which was and Lita. Kind of crazy. And her lip is bleeding so Lita, all three of them end up bleeding during this match. Yeah. Uh, speaking of bleeding, Edge gets hit in the face of the barbed wire bat and gets busted open. Foley's raking it over Edge's face and he's like screaming in what sounds like legitimate pain. Yeah, I'm sure it would be. Um. And then Foley's now dousing the table in lighter fluid from the ring apron, but Lita hits Foley right in the dick with the barbed wire bat. <laughs> and then she pours more lighter fluid on the table, lights it on fire, and Edge spears Mick Foley through the flaming table as Joey Styles shouts Oh my god! Which is also in our intro. Yes, yes.
2: And here's why I'm saying that the first lighter fluid was water, because if that was actual lighter fluid, Mick Foley should have lit up right there. That's, That's true.
1: And they're selling this really well. They're, like, convulsing, like they're, like, like they're trying to put out the flames. Yeah. Edge ends up pending him for the three count. Edge looks horrible here. He's got blood in his eyeballs. Yeah, man. And he's, like, shaking like he's an actual, like, Like, his body has gone into shock. But I have
2: a lot of respect for him for stepping into the ring with Mick Foley and not letting Mick Foley carry all of that on himself.
1: And that is kind of the storyline they go for here, is that these two actually end up teaming together because Mick Foley's like, I have so much respect for you for what we went through. And they end up teaming together at uh, the ECW One Night Stand Show in 2006, and they team against Terry Funk, and Tommy Dreamer in another really brutal match that almost makes Terry Funk lose an eye. Oh my god. Uh but this is definitely the most hardcore match in WrestleMania history.
2: Um uh, yeah, for man. Sure. That
1: it was it was brutal. I don't think and I don't think anyone ever, I don't think when Vince McMahon came up with WrestleMania in 1984 and had Mr. T and Janice Joplin, that he ever thought that someone was going to get speared through a flaming table. Yeah, probably not. Um. So Mick Foley's career really winds down here. He, like I mentioned, he has that team with Edge. He wrestles a few matches here and there. And unfortunately decides to go to TNA at one point. Uh, because everyone does. Everyone has basically wrestled in TNA. And for whatever reason, and look, here, I know Mick Foley is deserving of, of world championships, but do I think that Mick Foley was deserving of the TNA World Heavyweight Championship in 2008? Yeah, probably not. I I don't.
2: Actually, 2009. You know, what year was it that he lost the ear in Japan?
1: Ooh, that was a while back. Uh, let's see. I'm going to go to his Wikipedia page and control F, ear.
2: Yeah, I just wanted to bring that up, you know, just to interject it here. There are f- 40,
1: 132 instances of the word ear. Huh. Part of that is, is okay, hold on, I'm just going to look up. When did Mick Foley lose his ear? 1994.
2: Ninety four. Wow. Yeah. Because I mean, before McFoley was doing this stuff, he was over in Japan as well. Or while he was doing this, he was over in Japan doing all kinds of crazy things. Um, and lost an ear doing them.
1: Yeah, he's lost an ear, dislocated his jaw, broken his shoulder, gotten who knows how many concussions, how many stitches. And you know what's crazy is that the man is still to this day. Like smart, like the concussions didn't didn't destroy his yeah. brain, which just it, it astounds me he's a he's a published author he uh during the presidential like election one year they had him and j b l do like a debate <laughs> for some reason about politics <laughs> for whatever reason that is sort of a uh, weird thing to do. But eventually, you know, Mick Foley gets the recognition he truly deserves, and he gets inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2013 uh, by his good friend Terry Funk. He calls him crazy and nuts. Uh, he says this Hall of Fame will be a difficult class to live up to. He says that between himself, Bob Backlund, and Bruno San Martino, they have held the WWF Championship for a combined total of over 6,000 days. Although Sam Martino has 4,000 of those, and Bob Backlund has 2,000, and Mick Foley has 47. <laughs> I
2: love that he he sort of kicks it off that way. Um, or we, we sort of watch an edited version, so I'm not quite sure where that falls in the speech. But I love that just because it, it, him making fun of himself, he's such a humble guy. Like,
0: mm-hmm. And
2: you can tell that he, he looks almost a little bit uncomfortable like bragging on himself at all here.
1: Yeah, he does. He doesn't like to... Because like I said, he, he he even said that his match with Undertaker, the Hell in a Cell match, he was like, oh yeah, that match sucked.
2: I, and that's why like, Mick Foley is so great, because he's not one of these wrestlers that's all about them. He doesn't care about how long he's held a title. He he wants to put on a good show, and he wants the audience to enjoy it. And that, to him, is what's important.
1: And that's and that's so awesome to me. I read a list of matches where he ranked his favorite matches that he was in. One of them was a match against Hornswoggle. Because he was like, yeah, it was just fun. (laughs) Uh, Foley says it's the moments of greatest that define us, like probable killer Jimmy Snuka jumping off the cage. Um, Yeah. He says it's been a career of regrets, though, like how he never beat Chris Jericho. And so Chris Jericho gets on the stage and lies down while Mick Foley hits an elbow drop and pins him, and CM Punk counts the three count. And it, it takes him a second to, like, to like want to do it. Like,
2: Chris Jericho gets up there and lies down, and Mick Foley is, like, trying to, like, you know, sort of get him to get off the stage. And until they make it clear, like, no, Mick, you're going to do this.
1: Yeah. It's a really sweet moment, and the, and the crowd is really into him. And, you know, I don't think there are a lot of people who have a lot bad to say about Mick Foley except for Ric Flair. But they got over that.
2: Yeah, but Ric Flair also kind of sucks. So yeah. they had a
1: Ric Flair and Mick Foley had a real life feud where they started like, but it was between their autobiographies where they were like slamming each other in their autobiographies. Huh. But then they ended up moving past it and, and getting and they became friends. Yeah, but
2: again, Ric Flair seems like he kind of sucks. So, you know. Yeah,
1: maybe a little bit. Well, so what do you think of Mick Foley? Uh, I mean, do you even have to ask? I, I love him, man.
2: I love McFoley so much. He's he's my favorite wrestler, and after doing this episode, that only cements that further. I I think he's just fantastic uh, for for all the reasons I've named before. He's just such a good guy, such a great wrestler, and and just so unexpected, you know. Mm-hmm. It,
1: really, something special. How would you rank the I'm I'm actually going to say the four faces of Foley. Mankind, Cactus Jack, Dude Love, and Mick Foley.
2: Mm, mankind probably goes at the top. Um, you know, I the thing is, I might actually put Dude Love above Cactus Jack just because I love how goofy he is.
1: Oh my god. Like I just
2: I just love that character so much because it's just Mick Foley having a good time. And then probably regular Mick Foley is last, though. I think that Mick Foley and Cactus Jack are—the line's blurred there.
1: I guess that's true a little
2: bit. What about you? Uh, what are what are your rankings?
1: I, I would probably go Mankind, Mick Foley, Cactus Jack, Dude Love. Fair enough. And then Jack Foley. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I think that's going to about do it for us. Uh, really, really fun episode, looking in, looking back on an incredible career of Mr. Michael Foley.
2: Uh, yeah, and, you know, you guys let us know out there if you like the new way that we're doing things. I think that this was a a good, good run of it, and I think that I'm glad that we got to do it on Mick Foley, because Mick Foley is one of these wrestlers that, like, the matches just don't tell the full story, so I'm glad that we have the, the sort of supplemental material now. Um, let us know what you think, send us an email you know, uh, all that good stuff if and you'd like. And
1: if you want to uh, if there's anyone or anything you would like us to cover kind of in this style, just let us know uh, we kind of talked about it a little bit next week we're going to be talking about the uh, the documentary um, Beyond the Mat which kind of goes into some of the uh, some of the toll that the wrestlers put their bodies through and, and Mick Foley is going to be Very prominently featured in that documentary, so that'll be something fun and something different to talk about. Yeah, it's Uh, probably not going to
2: be quite as wacky as this one. This is your fun episode before we do one that's kind of like, ooh, you know, it's going to be an oof of an episode, I think.
1: A real a a big old oof, huh? Yeah, but you
2: know, it's important that we have oof episodes. It's important that we talk about our Montreal. We gotta have an oof
1: episode. Yeah, man. Well, uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter. That's at Turnmuckle Train. Uh, and that way you can keep up with us, know when new episodes are coming out. And subscribe uh, on wherever you find your podcast iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, whatever. And thanks for listening. It's me, Austin!
0: The numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for you and sacrifice, oh, son of a man! I did it for the love. Get ready.
1: Donker is this event of the summer. A three big dudes
2: production. Starring me, professional toe sucker. No, we won't talk about that, but we will talk about Waluigi, Dog with a Blog, the
1: similarities between Alf and Cousin Skeeter, and of course, the Slithler. It's Feud Fight, where we take the wild questions most people won't touch and give our scalding hot takes. And I also say terrible things that could loosely be considered word crimes just to keep things a little spicy. Every Monday, wherever you find your
2: podcasts.